Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill of other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. What up? What's happening? Welcome to the first episode of Full Court Press, one of the many new shows, the several new shows, I should say, that the Denver Stiffs are dropping as part of the new SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Vogt, and I'm pleased to try to sell you guys on a different type of podcast experience today. I think your cues are probably loaded full of Nuggets-related podcasts between Nuggets Numbers, The Dig, Adam's Pod at Locked On, the guys at MHS and BSN. You're all covered. You got what you need about the Nuggets. So I wanted to try and take you behind the scenes and give you, the fans, the audience, a sense of who these individuals are that are busting their butts to bring you this Nuggets coverage. There's a small army of really talented bloggers, journalists, entertainment personalities out there in this market that do a really great job. They're really interesting. And I thought you guys might get a kick to sort of dive into their process as creators, dive into their perspective covering this team. And try to figure out what makes them tick a little bit as human beings. So in episode one, I sat down with the Denver Stiffs editor-in-chief, Adam Matas, and we talked about his new podcast auto-documentary on Will Barton. You should check that out on denverstiffs.com. And so Adam and I sat down, we talked about why he was inspired to do this podcast, what he learned from it, if he's going to do more like this. And of course, we had some fun, too. We talked about his most embarrassing moment as a member of the media, and he opened up to me about some of his biggest fears in life. It was a lot of fun, uh, the first of many. I really think you like it. I really hope you like it. So if you do, once this channel finally drops from SB Nation, go ahead and subscribe. Leave a friendly rating if you feel so inclined. All right, here we go. This is episode one of Full Court Press. Feeling it, Adam? Just imagine there's the Stiffs NBA show music playing right now. Yeah, is that what I got to imagine? It's a bright day. I'm very <laughs> excited to welcome you to my podcast for once, Adam. This is weird. It is really weird. It does. I was waiting for you to do the intro. <laughs> welcome to Full Court Press. I'm pumped to have you on as my first guest, man. Uh, for obvious reasons, you are the big fish around here when it comes to Nuggets analysis. And I wanted to talk to you, take you sort of behind the scenes with your process as a writer. Um, and we'll talk a little more specifically today about your big Will Parton piece, the audio documentary that uh, you launched on Denver Stiffs. So thanks for agreeing to this, dude. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for our, our new podcast network on Denver Stiffs and for your show. I'm pumped, man. I, I really want to do something different with this one, right? There's enough Nuggets podcasts out there. But what I also think there's, there's a lot of talented media members here. Uh, yeah. You're one of them. And I really just wanted to sort of, if I can, 
take the listeners, the readers sort of behind the scenes. So, hey, let's just get right into it, man. That Will Barton piece was awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. It was it was really, really good. It was different than your other podcasts. And so let's just start there, man. What, what was your inspiration for this? And, and why did you decide to approach this one differently than your Locked On Pods? Well, the inspiration, first and foremost, was Will Barton. I mean, you know this, and I think everybody behind the scenes sort of knows this, is that Will Barton's such an interesting guy. We know his, I didn't know his full backstory, but I knew some of it. Uh, I knew enough to know that it was a great story, and I wanted to know the full, you know, all of it. Um, and then I just wanted – I knew if I could get him for an hour – or th- really 30 minutes, because I thought I would only get him for 30 minutes, um, that I could get a lot of cool things out of him, that I could build a story around it. Um, so that was the first inspiration. The second inspiration, you know, a lot of people don't know this. You and I both come from a film background. That's right. It sounds weird to say that, because I didn't exactly have a ton of success in Hollywood. <laughs> no. So no. to say I had a film background isn't exactly accurate. But um, but we both like grew up wanting to be in movies and you know obviously watching documentaries and things like that and I thought this would be a cool way to tell a story using another part of my background and skill set which is storytelling in like this like film setting film form yeah no doubt I thought that's what made it so cool because I mean you did have Barton for a fair amount of time you could have just released that interview you know and oh, yeah. people like your voice they're used to it so you know one of the things I was fascinated about by this project was your decision to sort of take yourself out of it as much as you can yeah um and so I talk about that decision a little bit. I mean, like why, what, what was the moment where you went, you know what, this, this deserves to be a documentary, not an interview. Well, I think I went into it with that idea. It, you know, part of it, Rob Mahoney with sports illustrated does a great job of this. Yeah, he um, does. He, he does a similar thing. Obviously I copied, if you ever listen to his show, I, I copied the format quite a bit. Uh, I listened to the daily show uh, the daily podcast, the New York times one that does a similar style um, for their reporting. And I just thought, you know, this is, one of one of my themes this year with Stiffs, we talked about this in our Stiffs meeting, was be creative. I, there's this like idea of what a sports report is supposed to be. This like very journalistic, this is the style, you write it in this voice or whatever. And the coolest part about Denver Stiffs and about being a blog boy, like I say that with pride. For sure. Is we don't have a form. We can do whatever we want. And it'll either be good or bad, but we get to experiment with different voices and different styles. And, and and so with this one, I was like, you know, this is a great opportunity to do something that blogs can do that other people cannot. And I just wanted to hit a home run with it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's the, that's the unique space we get to fill. And, you know, with Bar- Barton's the kind of guy that, look, you could have written that piece with quotes. Yeah. You could have just dropped the inner, like, but it doesn't really capture Will Barton, does it? No. There's, no. A, there's a lot to him. And, I mean, you've covered this team longer than I have. Have you met a cooler dude? No. In basketball. (laughs) And I know it's cliche and it's funny to even say it, but like, you know, we have to be careful with how much we enjoy Will Barton because we we obviously want to be objective. We want to be fair and all those different things. And of course, we're going to we're going to have rose colored glasses because that's that's our style. But we also want to be fair and honest. And with him, he's so he's just so genuine, so likable. And there's so many traits about him as a person that that we all sort of like and respect. Um and I just wanted to show that, you know, I, I felt like I didn't have to. A lot of people were like, you did a good job of showing him a good life. I didn't really do anything other than play his quotes and string like the narration in it was really just to connect one quote to the next. Right. And we were really high collectively as a group on Will Barton, not just as a player, but as a dude. And I think, look, we have to acknowledge the bias. Right. But he's, a lot of it is because he's great with the media. He understands what we're looking for and he's willing to give us what we want so often. But also just it's hard to explain when you're around this guy. He's a really cool person I mean, yeah. outside of the basketball context. He's the type of dude you want to get to know more. 
I think everybody walked away from that, and that was like the number one feedback I got. You know, one 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 of the favorite comments I saw. I think this one was on Reddit. As someone says, "Man, Barton has a lot of fight in him," and I think like you listen to that, you definitely get that aspect of him. The dude just does not quit. Uh, he's tough minded, tough physically, all those things. Um, but then the other part you get is just that, yeah. The, one of the themes of the show was how he's learned from different experiences and like now knows how to connect with all different people. And I think that's one of the things people now know, not just from me telling them, but from like, you know, it just from listening him to him talk like, oh, I get what kind of guy this is. It's the best type of guy. And the other thing I liked about it, man, was it's a really interesting story. There's a lot of adversity he's overcome. At no point did he seem to make this like a sob story. Right. I think for yeah. Will, you get the impression that. These things like sleeping in a bed with all of his family members, taking care of his sister's child for him. He didn't know anything else. Right. That was just life. A hundred percent. And it's funny, you know, I didn't want to make this, uh, uh, you know, Johnny comes comes up from the hood and becomes an NBA player. I didn't want to make it that story because Will doesn't tell it that way. I mean, yeah, he went through hardships and there was different parts of his life or this or that. But he even has a line in there where he says, we didn't think nothing of it. We were just growing up and, you know, that was life. And. And it was important for me, especially early on in the show, to talk about, yeah, he comes from these rough neighborhoods, but his childhood was very similar to anybody else's. I mean, right. playing playing games and doing all that stuff. Watching TV with his mom. That yeah. was really funny. It was like the only thing I could relate to, right? Because right. my brothers, my, my mom, I said, we did that too. Yeah. Brother, I only have one brother. I don't know why I, <laughs> I made that plural. So in the locker room, Barton is generally really receptive to the questions we have. Um did you get that same sense when you sat down with him? Like, was there any sort of he didn't want to be there? Like, was he was there anything he didn't want to touch on? Or I said I started the interview that way by saying, like, look, if there's anything, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. Some I know the answer to. But I just want to if there's something you, where you don't want me to go, let me know. He never once stopped it. I mean, you know, some of the stuff in there is kind of tough. And, and he's just an open book. I think there was Dan Conley. I don't remember if this made the cutting room floor or not, but he had something in there that said, Will's a very public person. He's just not afraid to share himself. Mm. And that's part of the appeal we're talking about. But it, it goes with, you know, talking about failure, talking about losing confidence in Portland and stuff like that. He's just not afraid to be 100% genuine. One of the words every single player used to describe him was honest. Right. And and I think that's part of the appeal. I think it's reflected in his play on the court, right? He's he's sort of fearless in that way. He's going to play yeah. his brand of basketball, and he believes that at the end of the day, through all the pros and the cons, you're going to get a positive result. And so he, there's no fear around that. The word Tim Conley used was deference. Like you, you can't have a team where everybody's deferring to everybody else. Like you, and he said, I think Will loudly is not. And yeah, that's again part of that honesty. If Will respects you, it's because you earned it. And he's quick to give that if you earn it. It's not like you, somebody you have to prove a hundred times. So he's quick to do that. But yeah, he plays with that same style of like I'm gonna go out there, and if you have a problem with me, let me know. Right. And if you can convince me I'm wrong, then okay. But like, it, yeah, it's just something very, very honest and not politically correct about him. I have some more questions for you, but let's take a break for my sponsor. Oh, I don't have any sponsors. Oh, I don't have any sponsors. We'll blow right through this break. Um, <laughs> big project for you, Adam. Different project, as we touched on earlier. What's like the one lesson you feel like you learned coming away from this thing? You mean me personally as like a reporter? Yes. Um, I think that people... Yeah, I just love telling stories. I say my favorite part about what I'm doing is... It, you know, I love the X's and O's and all, I love all that stuff, but I just like thinking about here we have some information I want to share with people, but what's the coolest way to, to get that information across? Not the most, we could write like bullet points. Every article could just be a bullet point summary, but like, how can you make the story the most interesting? And for me, that, 
you know, this project took a ton of time. I mean, I put a lot of hours into this one, but it was the most fun time. You know, I up till three, four in the morning, a couple different nights, like working on editing. And, you know, you come to a crossroads, and you're like, man, how do I connect these ideas without it getting boring? And I don't know. I just get, to me, that's where I get some energy from it. So what did I learn more than anything? I just I reinvigorated this this idea in myself of getting creative with my my approach to reporting. And And those sort of projects, when you work on them and you release them. I know you relate. We can talk about this a bit. There's almost a certain anxiety, right, when you put it out there because huh, every you, time, every time, right? And look, you could have at this point, people know what to expect from your X's and O's, and yeah. we could do our newsers, and they just are what they are. They're not reflections of us as creative people, as thinkers. But this is right. I mean, there's almost would you call it fear or or because I actually lean almost more towards like excitement. You know that that something else about you is going to be up for evaluation. <laughs> There's always excitement. I think the longer you're in it, the less you feel the need for validation. I mean, at least that that's me. You know, a lot of the younger writers on either on our staff or just that I talk to around Denver, you know, they're hanging on every article for what are people going to think. But when you put a ton of time into it, one, you want people to actually hear it. And that's, you know, that can be a hard part. You want it to get the actual downloads. And two, you do want people to recognize that. But I will say with this one, I had worries. My number one worry was that I got a fact wrong and Will Barton was going to be like, hey, man, no, that you got this out of order or something like that. And I did extra work for that not to be the case. That was not the case. I talked to him at practice. He was, he, you know, there was nothing like that. He was happy with how it turned out. Um, but my number two worry, you know, the sound wasn't great. The sound quality. I'm not a professional audio engineer, so I had to teach myself this as I go. It's not perfect. I was worried about those things. But the actual content, I knew if people could get, overlook the sound part. Um, they were just going to love it and connect it. I, I felt more confident with this thing than I probably did anything else I worked on. But that's interesting, right? That's a different challenge because you're telling the story of a person. And even though you're sitting down with him and you're getting this information directly, it's still almost secondhand, right? You weren't there for Will's story. So was was there yeah. some fear of maybe like botching that? Oh, or? 100%. And, you know, I, I talked to several different people. I mean, some that made the cut on the show and some that did not. Um, but I just talked to a lot of people and you could get a good sense of, um, what the facts were. And, and, and there was a couple places where I wanted to talk about something. And I was like, I'm not a hundred percent sure if this, if I'm, if I got this right, so I'm going to leave it out. And, right. um, so there were a couple moments like that, but the other half of that is there is as much as you talk about me being removed from this, I, I am there as an important observer. Right. And, and some of the thematic elements I'm talking about as a narrator, those are my own sort of reads like I'm reading Will Barton's character and his person personality and these experiences and projecting those on onto uh, onto the podcast and that that's the part where again you get you get a little bit nervous for it but that's where I think as a writer writers make observations and and you have to like stick to your observations and and, and believe with the, in them and and put the work into really making the right ones it was cool listening to you try something different I mean I, I talk with you just about every day I listened I listened to your podcast long before I met you so what I'm getting at is that I'm sick of you. I could easily <laughs> skip your pocket. But that was one that was really easy to dive into. But isn't it true, though? Because so we'll all be sitting around the table or we'll be sitting next to each other for a game. And we already know what articles each other are going to write. Because, like, I've heard you kind of fleshing out an idea. Or I hear Matt Moore talking about this or that. And I'm like, OK, I know he's formulating an opinion here and he's bouncing ideas off me. I'm bouncing ideas off of him. And so we so there is an element sometimes of like I'll read an article and be like, yeah, that there was nothing in there that I didn't know from our conversation and right. then sometimes people will and you'll be like i knew all the beats you were going to hit but i still enjoyed reading it because you did such a good job with it i think guys like paul clee i think deserve a special mention for this um, Very true. writer for the gazette 
I'll talk to him and I'll know his take and he'll still write something that I'm just like, that was a joy to read. Right. Right. No. And, and that's, you know, sometimes with your lot on podcast, they've almost, and, and hear me out before this sounds insulting. <laughs> they've almost become less enjoyable to me since I moved here right. because I talk, I know we had those conversations before you sat down to record. Yep. So it's never surprising me. No, it's, it's true. But this was different. What was the one thing? I don't know if you've had time to like step back and think about it like this. What was the one thing you would have done differently in hindsight? Kind you know, of put you on the spot. Here. No, it's a good question. I, I actually like it. The, some of the sound engineering stuff, I think, you know, I probably would have looked for somebody to to edit it for me um, or or to help me with that I, just because there's only so much you can teach yourself about audio audio editing. So one, it would be that to try to find somebody that's a professional or, or aspiring professional that wanted a credit or something like that. The other thing is, and I had to do this on a fly. A lot of people don't know. I don't think like Gary Harris had no idea he was in a documentary. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Damian Lillard, Michael Malone, nobody except for Will Barton, Tim Conley and Dan Conley knew they were in this. And because of that, I was unable to get them one on one in like a clean audio environment. But I would have I think I would have made more of a point for that just to say, you know what? I need clean audio from Damian Lillard. I'm going to try to pull him aside for one minute after a game in a place where there's no background noise because. There were there were the audio between Barton and myself and Tim Conley was just so different that splicing them together made it very hard. The Damian Lillard part was interesting. It was brief, right? But you did touch on Will's Portland days. You went through the whole timeline. You obviously weren't there for that. How did you go about sort of filling in your perspective on that part? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, we didn't go to so when I when I sat down to edit part two, I was looking at. Um, I was looking at just the layout and the the pace. The pace was so important. I never wanted to linger on a section for too long, and I never wanted to be in a section too quickly. And with Port and Portland, the when I looked at it all and the audio I had, I actually didn't have that much audio, Barton. So I thought, what needs to be known here that the narrator is going to fill in? And I thought the backstory of what was happening with Portland was very good context for what situation he was running into. So that. You know, once I recorded that, I was like, okay, that's good. That even though it's me talking for three minutes straight, that's good context. And then, you know, w with Will again, it was more about the observation stuff. I was observing things about him and the way he talked. That even if I didn't have the perfect quote for it, I wanted to at least plant the seed because it would come up later. It was really cool because I was aware of his Portland stretch prior to this podcast, but I didn't have the context of his life up until that point. Yeah, and you see a lot of players in this situation where they have the talent. They want it, but where they are, where they were drafted, it's not going to work out, and they have to move on. But with Will, this time we knew um, how devastating that was for him to sort of have to fight. I mean, his whole life he had been in a position of success, at least on the court. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he has to fight and, and fight for this dream that, you know, I don't think Will thinks anything's a given, but I do think there was a point where he started to think, I am going to be an NBA player one day. Well, that's the theme of the story, right? Is that Will Barton learned lessons from every experience, every failure, every obstacle. And for, and like, yeah, he came in as a highly touted, you know, oh, he's going to be a, a lottery pick or this or that, falling to the second round, then not getting it in Portland. Like for a lot of players, that's devastating. They just never have the, the like self-awareness to like learn from that mistake, like look in the mirror. And I think Will Barton's just such the opposite. And it's funny because that's not his reputation amongst casual fans who haven't heard anything better. They they think he's this like cocky um, hero ball, I'm the best, whatever. And that's certainly half of the equation. But the other half is he's incredibly thoughtful and reflective. And, um, and that just comes across. Like I think anybody that listens to this in the way he criticizes himself in the, in the piece really comes away with, no, this guy actually knows who he is. He, know, he knows his flaws. It's really funny that 
being so close to a team which I've never been before. Obviously, you you start to see things a little differently. A hundred percent. And you can't explain this to, to to people at home that haven't been there. Like, I know that. Like, I'm a huge analytics guy. Like, that was I come from analytics. I, my first articles were on nylon calculus. You know, like this. I, this is where I come from. But there is this context that that goes outside of that that people just won't know unless you actually get to be there and not just be there for once. Like, oh, I was in a locker room one time. I part of the podcast I did on Locked On yesterday with Matt Moore was talking about no, like I've now seen the Nuggets go from four years every year being a different phase in their development, and like you just learn different things that you can only learn if you're there for an entire year seeing that of evolution. And it's fascinating because it's this really really small place that you live in, in that you're in the first door and you have access that other people don't. Yeah, but it's limited. You realize yeah. quickly there's nine, yeah. ten doors that you don't get to oh, go behind. Oh, yes. And so it, it's a, for me, and I'm sure you agree, it's an interesting process trying to reconcile. I feel like I'm getting to know these people, but I have to remind myself that I don't. Yeah, no, 100%. And even that, and that was one of the risks, of course, with this Will Barton one is I feel really good that I got him pegged. You know, like I, I got him, I, I, I got him worked out to the extent that I talked about him. Um, but there's a lot about him I don't know. And, and, and you have to kind of, Good writers, I think, do a very good job of narrowing what they're writing about to just the things they actually know about. That's well said. What do you think? You talked about how Will learns something at every step of the way. What do you think? And this is more speculation now. What do we think he's learning here in Denver at this juncture? I think they're all learning the same lesson. Other than Paul Millsap and maybe Isaiah Thomas, they're all learning. This part of what's so cool about this Nuggets team is I always compare them to an indie rock band. You know, like where they're they're getting the success is coming, and how is that going to change you for better or for worse? And they're all learning that lesson together. They're all getting more popular together. The Pepsi Center is cheering on. One of the things I loved, you know, Mason Plumlee had that reverse dunk yesterday in the game on brand, and it's his. But it's on brand, and people know that now. You know, like Mm. the Nuggets are starting to have things. That's right. I mean, like two years ago, nobody. You know, Jokic was a thing because he's just he's so unique in that. But now people are starting to get Gary Harris. As a player and as a personality, they're starting to get Mason Plumlee as a player and personality. So I think all of them are sort of going through these highs of becoming the team we all hoped they were going to become. And they're learning the lessons of how to manage that and how, and how to get to the even the next level. It makes it more fun for us, right? Because now all of a sudden we're tasked with more than just teaching folks at home things about the team they may not know. Now, now there's things, there's personalities that people want to hear from, people want to learn about. So what made your Barton piece so cool? Another thing I think Barton's learning, you know, leadership is such a buzzword for people. Again, this is another thing about you have to actually be there for year after year after year to see the slow process. Yeah. I think when you're young, leadership is, oh, everybody's got to respect me because I'm going to vocalize this or that. And it almost feels like this thing you aspire towards. I think the older you get, and this isn't just true of basketball, I think it's true of life. You know, the reluctant leader is really the best leader because I think eventually you learn that actually this is a big responsibility and and actually people looking to me for my voice is fun when things are going great and everybody's patting me on the back for my great leadership but it actually sucks when i'm the one responsible for all this and i think that's what will barton's going to i think it, it was interesting that paul Millsap after the game yesterday called him the leader of the team and the vocal leader um because that's something he earned not right. something he wanted right and when paul said that my first thought was i wonder how this injury affects that like if it's extended time you know is he is he missing time with the team you know do they miss that voice who steps up in his absence it's a real question isaiah thomas in media day and through pickup games everybody talked about his voice and how big it was 
But, you know, we haven't really heard that since the season started. And I think that is because just what you mentioned, the players active and participating in the games are in, go in one direction. The players rehabbing are going the other until they can rejoin the team. So I do think there is something to that. Mil Paul Millsap mentioned it last year. He was a leader, but he wasn't around the team, and he wasn't in position to be a leader when he's hurt and rehabbing. A lot of interesting personalities on this team. Are you planning on doing more of these, Adam? These Will Barton? Like, he's unique, right? So it's, it's a challenge to find that story in everyone else. A lot of people have asked me this, and I'd, I, the answer is I'd love to. Um, but you know getting an hour from a player. I honestly was promised 20 minutes, and I knew Will Barton well enough. And you know, I think there's uh, he's one of the players I would – one of the few, if not the only player I feel a mutual sort of respect. You know, He's just such a respectful guy. Um, that I felt confident I would get 30 minutes from him. I got about 50, and that was, again, a, a testament to him. I don't know how many players will give me 50 minutes. Right. And next time I go into something like this, I'm going to have to ask for 50 because having done it now, I know that's how much time you need to really get through all these questions. So the long answer is I absolutely want to. I think that enough people, you know, both on the team, within the organization, and outside – liked this enough that it that i'll have an opportunity but the question is when and, and it's, who and who well i have a lot of ideas for for who what different directions i'd like to go but you know we'll have to i'll just have to wait and see for the next opportunity to arise and, and put some legwork in now so that i can improve my chances of getting somebody i have a suggestion for you we have a lot of serbian followers mm. how hard could it be to have one of them put you up for a summer you go out there with a disguise you pose as serbian media and you <laughs> infiltrate the Jokic family <laughs> I th yeah, this is this is a very promising plan right here. I Thank just you. have to learn Serbian, um, yeah. develop a strong enough backstory. Forgot about that. Forgot part. about that aspect. Yeah, I was just thinking on the mustache and the glasses. That's as far as I had thought. And I'm just out there speaking English, but with a Serbian <laughs> accent, and then that like Serbia never comes up. I like it. Foolproof plan. Uh, what's next for you, man? Are, you know, we got a lot going on at the Stiffs. Do you have a big project, or is it just sort of like is it now about implementing these sort of weekly, daily things you'd like to see? Yeah, you know some of the the cool stuff we have planned like long term you know the watch parties have been a big thing for us we're going to have some cool theme weeks later on in the year that I'm, I'm excited for but as far as the podcast um every year i feel like i get more comfortable with it and and you know it's almost like you have to perfect one level and then you peel back a new layer that's how i feel with with the podcast i'm i peel i'm peeling back some new layers this year that that i'm excited for um and then, you know, new and new guests, bigger and bigger guests and, and, and things like that. Cool, man. Well, the way I want to wrap up these podcasts uh, just every other week here is with a segment called About the Author. The author, a bit of a stretch. It's not going to be an author every week, but just sort of some fun questions, help the audience at home get to know you I love beyond it. your nugget stuff. So I'm going to put you just right off the bat. I want to put you on the spot. I'm, I'm nervous. This well, now, and now I know what this feels like to be put on to be with put random on the, questions. And I want, I want honesty. That's what this podcast is about. Yikes. Adam, what's your biggest fear? <laughs> oh, geez. On a, <laughs> this is a great one. Um, like literally it's death. <laughs> yeah. And I know that's like, a, like such a broad one, but, um, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I've changed a little bit in my thirties, but I would say in my late teens and, and early to mid twenties, I thought about death at a very unhealthy amount. I mean, we're both philosophy majors. Yeah. I'm there now. So yeah, exactly. You're in the thick of it. Thinking about it right now. I definitely, I definitely think not everybody does. Some people are like out of sight, out of mind, whatever, but it was something that I like confronted very, very literally in like a philosophical sense for so many, for so long, but but short of that now, I would say my biggest fear is just heights. 
Heights. <laughs> You're already so far off the ground. How could you be afraid oh, of heights? Wow. Shots fired. It's not really a shot. It's it's envy. That's all it is. <laughs> what is your most embarrassing moment as a media member? Is there anything you did or that you wrote where you just like lost sleep over it? Uh, honestly, at least a dozen things, including <laughs> like this week. There's always there's always something where I, I'm a I'm a pretty. I think writers. We talk about this all the time. Writers are fairly insecure, like well, much more than the average human. Yeah. And so it's a big part of writers to try to like work towards not caring about validation for your work, kind of like you were talking about earlier. Um, biggest embarrassment, I think number one for me. One time I interviewed Kevin McHale. It was one of my first times being – Kevin McHale was coaching the Rockets, and I asked him a question. They were like 0-3 to start the year, and I said, I know losing is tough, but is there anything you've learned about the team through this this tough opening stretch? And he looked at me like I was the biggest idiot on earth and said, <laughs> I learned that I don't like losing. <laughs> and then he quit the – then he walked off of the media. Oh, you I was, shut down the was, press conference. It was question number two, and he was like, you know what? I'm not doing this today. <laughs> Long story short, he was fired a few days later. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, what is your favorite film, Adam? I know you've got a very pretentious taste culturally. It has not changed. I don't know that it will change. At a certain point, your favorite movie is just your favorite movie. I have two. It's a tie. Crimes and Misdemeanors, Woody Allen's movie in 1989. I think I think a perfect movie. And then No Country for Old Men, another movie that's perfect. And guess what? Both of them deal with death. That's right. <laughs> I think a lot of things deal with death. But, but I mean like with the idea of like the permanence of death. <laughs> What is the, your least favorite fan base in all of sports? Oh, everybody knows the answer to this one. It's the Lakers. I want to argue with you for a little bit. Oh, you know what? Not argue. <laughs> oh, I, it could be the Cardinals. Is that where you want me to no, go with that's, this? That's not what I had in mind. <laughs> best fans. Best fans. Uh, best so fans. I think it's funny. I think this is regional. For me, it's the Celtics fans. And I wonder if that's an East Coast, West Coast thing because they are rough equivalents of each other. I mean, yeah. a little different in terms of marketing and stuff, but... So, well, so Boston sports fans are my least favorite like Group. city, yeah. Um, and then we, oddly enough, I would call Celtics fans the least annoying of the Boston sports because I think Red Sox fans are by far the worst of the Boston Boston fans. Oh I yeah, mean, oh yeah. There's this like righteous, you know, self righteousness about them, uh, uh, about them being the team that's. The, they're the the white hat to the Yankees yeah. black hat when it's like no you guys are just a different shade of black Dude, yeah, that's so well said <laughs> like they want to be both they want to be the underdogs and the new class of the AL at the same time man yeah they're the worst so so Red Sox are worse to me and then New England fans are worse in part just because they're so damn good and it's annoying that they're so good well, for so long all of this is really symptomatic of winning a lot right yeah. I and mean, if we're so lucky that the Nuggets get there except for here's the thing though I will say their Laker fan is because the history. Because of the 16 banners or seven, whatever they're up to now, I don't even know. Because of all that, they attract a certain type of person. I've always said this. The most winning fan bases in all of sports attract the worst types of fan, and that is the bandwagon fan who actually has no emotional investment to it, doesn't hurt when it, they lose, but they just love the like resentment of being on the team that's better than every other team. And so Lakers fans are uniquely bad in that way. They're also... There's this this bias about oh we're from Hollywood ergo we are cool that is just not true yeah <laughs> and it's that, I've met a lot of Lakers fans that are just not cool yeah. <laughs> and and so there's there's so many different light reasons Lakers fans suck yeah Lakers fans are pretty lame it should be much better with LeBron though I'm sure it'll be <laughs> all right two more for you dude you are one of the more confident people I've ever met <laughs> thank and you I mean that half as a compliment half <laughs> thank as a, you it, uh, if you had to pick any other person beside yourself in the entire world who would you be 
Oh man, well, first of all, I, my biggest regret in life is that I'm not someone else. So this okay. is as confident as I am. No, that's good to know. <laughs> um, if I could be anybody else, huh? Uh, Matthew McConaughey seems like he's got things figured yeah, out. That's a good one. That's a good one. You know, he nothing seems to get to him. No, he's so cool too. The best part about Matt is that we forget Matt. I, we're friends. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. I've never heard it. His mom yeah. calls him Matthew. We're big buds. Uh, <laughs> is that he had an awful start to his career? Like besides Days and he did some films where it was like for a long time he was kind of a joke, the butt end right. of a joke. And now he, like, ever since season one of True Detective, you're just like that's a heavy hitter right there. The reconnaissance. Oh, I like that. Is that a thing? <laughs> it was a thing at the time. Yeah. The best thing is his getting them checks deal with Lincoln too. Those commercials. <laughs> Good for him. And now he makes. Now he's like somehow part of Wild Turkey's bourbon. I know. Yeah. It's, <laughs> look, get paid, brother. All right. Final question: Have you ever considered getting a divorce? Oh, it's, it's, sorry. Don't answer. That's for my other podcast. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Don't answer that one. Don't answer uh, wow. that one. This seems like a good place to wrap it up. <laughs> a dark. I like how we have this fun, flowery conversation. We're going to end on the darkest possible note. I launched this podcast just to make that joke. <laughs> weeks in the making. Um, He's cracked himself up right now. He can barely hold the mic. I'm proud of that one. All jokes aside, man, it's uh, it's been really cool getting to know you again to work with you. And uh, I, love, I love the Will Barton thing. I would tell you otherwise, and you know that. So uh, thanks for what you do, and thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this new podcast and for the whole new Podcast Network. I think from we've been working behind the scenes and all the shows are going to be unique, I think. Absolutely. Hey, join me in a couple of weeks. I'm going to talk to Katie Wingy of Altitude, the first full-time reporter analyst in that position uh, in the history of Altitude. So. Female reporter. Female. Yeah, yeah. Did I not say that? No, but it's, it was implied. Yeah, no. Katie's <laughs> awesome. She's a really smart girl and uh, I think she's learned a lot from switching jobs. So we'll talk to her in two weeks. Hope you enjoyed episode one, and thank you for listening to Full Court Press. from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill-up. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway and we'll see you soon.